In this episode, we take a look at real-life examples of bad therapy. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. And we are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with learning about and applying the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 20 of the Polyvagal Podcast. So in this episode, we're talking about real-life examples from you, the listener, and followers on Instagram. Uh, We do ask that you put yourself first, though. Yes, we keep every episode as safe as we can. But because of the nature of the topics that we will be discussing, especially today, you may experience some stuff coming up for yourself. So do whatever it is you need to do. If that means take a break, take a walk, do some deep breathing, singing, making eye contact, getting some water. I'm even going to add in there maybe crying or even yelling while you're driving in your car or... You know, just stay safe, people. But do what you need to do and uh, come back when you're ready. We don't want any of this information to impact you um, any further in a negative way than this kind of stuff has already impacted people. Okay, so before we get rolling here, two things we want to kind of go into a little bit. First off, we believe the stories that we were told. Absolutely. Yes, sure. Client And a couple of people messaged me saying, well, maybe they're taking it out of context. Maybe they misunderstood. Yeah, that could be true. Totally possible. There could be context issues. Uh, We're not getting the therapist side of things. I I get that. But a good therapist is going to check in with the client before they leave and ask for feedback. And I think a good therapist is going to be sensitive to these things and allow time for clarification or apologies or um, check in and say, hey, I said this thing. Seem like it missed. Where are you at right now? I think a good therapist is going to be able to address this stuff. And this isn't like I misunderstood. This is some pretty blatant stuff, honestly. Some of this stuff is is downright inappropriate. Yeah. So this is like, to me, seems like a lot of ir- irreparable, irreparable <laughs> things. It's not going to be repaired. It, the first time. Irreparable. I know. I just want to say it both ways. No. So irreparable. So we are going to take the client's side on this thing. And uh, yeah, the context issue, sure. But this seems like, I mean, I, I can't imagine someone getting this stuff wrong. It can't all be context issues. It just can't. No. The second thing we want to address is that this is potentially re-traumatizing. And Mercedes, I didn't even think about this. Yeah. When when I asked this out, again, like I thought it was going to be, you know, I, the stupid therapist was using their phone in session or they fell yeah. asleep or something like that. But then a couple of people said it was well beyond that, but they, they used the words re-traumatizing, that leaving therapy or being in therapy with this person was re-traumatizing or I left traumatized. And a couple of people used that word. And I think it's actually extremely accurate. Uh, one thing that someone said is, I always thought something was wrong with me, given that I've had multiple bad experiences with therapists. Reading all of these replies shows me that I am not alone. I'm sorry others have gone through this trauma as well. They use the word trauma, which I thought was really interesting and I don't think is inaccurate. Um, I think that it is trauma, can be trauma, or is re-traumatizing. It'll set this up in a polyvagal way, that you're with someone that you perceive is more powerful than you, has more higher level of education, has more clout or backing to them. They have their degrees on the wall, they have their experience or their assumed experience. So you're in this position of being, uh, what's the right word here? Of having less power in the room. Is that a good way to put it? Mm-hmm. Of being inferior. In a way, in yeah. Way. yeah. Yeah. Not that they are, but you know. Right. But, but feeling we're, that way. Yeah. And in school, we're taught that in the room that we are the people, that we as therapists hold the power in the room in a way. Yeah. And that we need to be really sensitive to that because people are coming to us for help. So in a way, like just based on the relationship, the nature of the relationship that we have more power in the room. I think also um, with that point is, so you as the client are going into this room expecting a person, an all-knowing, all-intelligent, you know, therapist. You're also going in feeling vulnerable already because you understand that this process is opening up your wounds, digging through around there, you know, throwing out the bad stuff, whatever, like getting into your baggage Going back to the Instagram submission, you know, that person thought that there was something wrong with her, given that she had had multiple bad experiences with therapists, but now she's realizing she's not alone. It does feel that way. You're going in super vulnerable into this place of like, 
you know, almighty, all-knowing therapy, you know, guru. And when they tell you that you're crazier than you thought or you're wrong or you're dumb, of course you're going to feel like that's true. And of course you're going to feel alone. So it's yeah. just it's just kind of emphasizing all of that yuckiness going on. Yeah, yeah. They're walking into the room of feeling like less than or feeling weak or vulnerable. And so everything that we've listed here is really a neuroception of danger. If you feel like you're the weaker one in the room, it's not going to feel like a safe uh, environment or a safe relationship. But so on top of this, let's add to this, that you're actually in a way stuck in the room as well because you're, and I'll, I'll even say for me, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. So I was kind of immobilized. My own like not wanting to hurt her feelings or speak up kind of immobilized me. So I wasn't traumatic. I wasn't traumatized. I was, all right. I was all right. Like I knew enough to be like, once I get out of here, this is it. But, you know, people are going into these situations feeling they have to be and um, that, they're, that they're less than, that there's an expert in the room and they don't want to like speak up. So they're really kind of immobilized due to anxiety and due to all kinds of stuff, not wanting to hurt someone's feelings or not wanting to be rude or whatever. So they're sympathetically activated because they are... Um, feeling nervous and vulnerable and want to run away probably. But then they're also immobilizing themselves. Now, these are the ingredients of trauma. Being sympathetically activated and then being immobilized, whether it's by perception or actually being immobilized, that these are the ingredients of trauma. So I think it's very accurate to say that these really bad therapy experiences can be traumatizing or re-traumatizing at least. These are obviously incidents that are sticking with people. People are going to these therapy experiences and they are these experiences are staying with them. So much so that when I ask on Instagram, they could not wait to like share. I know. These things were fresh in their mind. These were yes. things that they had like really had really stuck with them. It wasn't just a benign person in the store that was like dumb. Like it was this was an incident yes. that really stuck with them. There was lots of passion behind the words. There was lots of emotion in there still and and you're saying fresh, and I think I'm understanding you right, that it was not fresh and like recent, but fresh and like... Like fresh Prince of Bel-Air. so... I couldn't right. help it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Dude. So, <laughs> I think when you say fresh, you're trying to say, or what you mean to say is that it's not fresh like recent, but it's fresh like it's still so raw and so real and so... Um, yeah. Powerful. Yeah. The experience was so powerful that it feels like it's still right there just under the surface. And that's the exact same thing that when someone shares a trauma story in therapy, they're right there. It's so right man, there. like the pieces are there. Like I can calling this a trauma is scarily accurate. It's, it's dead on. It really is. Okay, so these are obviously incidents. So these are incidents that are sticking with people and remaining fresh in their not just their memory, but they feel it still. But these bad therapy incidents are causing people to change their behavior. Meaning they want to leave the room, but they don't. Or they want to not come back, but they do. Or they uh, they want to speak up about it and go to like a licensing board, but they might not. So like they want something, but then they're holding back. Which I think to me is, again, really has a flavor of a lot of trauma stuff of like wanting to speak up, but not but assuming people won't believe you. Or thinking like, you know, maybe something's wrong with me and that's why this thing happened. I'm the one, right. I'm the problem. Obviously, I've misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some really uncomfortable connections here to the process of trauma. Like the authority thing of like, well, they must be right. I'm not right. They must be right. Well, think Just about like, all the priests you know, that have. Yes. You know, oh, like, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So um, there, there's some, I think, saying trauma or re-traumatizing is is sadly extremely accurate and i get it yeah totally all right so let's let's go into some bad therapy stories the story is i have two both from the same person one i came due to work stress and she was friends with the vp at my work and so therefore the things i was saying about my work couldn't be true they were i'm totally open to constructive criticism but this was blatant disregard two she told me I was pretty smart. This is in this is in quotes. Pretty smart for being so uneducated. End quote. She also violated HIPAA and told me my coworker was seeing her. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> that was me. I'm sorry. That was my reaction. Did you just I've, remember that? I've read. No, I've read it like five times. But yeah. like every time I read it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. So this is this is someone that knows probably more than the therapist knew she knew. Mm-hmm. Like knowing what HIPAA is, that's that's not typically what someone's going to walk into therapy. With. Not a lot of people know that. So knowing that she violated HIPAA, which is the confidence part of HIPAA's confidentiality laws that therapists have to follow, um, and said that she said that told told me my coworker was seeing her. That is confidential information. So this therapist should not be disclosing. Anybody else that she meets with, when right. I meet with, like if if, I, if one of my clients, a student says, you also meet with my friend, I, I say, I, I can't answer that question. I can, I can't, yeah, I can I neither can't confirm that. nor deny. That's what we're supposed right. to say. I can neither right. confirm nor deny. Right. So, but I, I don't, you can't do that. That's, that's a huge yeah. violation in and of itself. And she yeah. was wise Illegal enough to know that. and unethical right there. So here's a couple of issues that I, that we saw here. The therapist should openly disclose these potential issues. So. What was it? It. I think it she was, was the, She was, oh, um, friends with the VP. With the, uh, huh. I, I almost said vice principal. Vice <laughs> president. <laughs> yeah, so being friends with the VP, that might be something that, that's not confidential. No. And it's already, no. apparently it's already known. So that could be something that they disclose and it could be up for discussion. Like, are you okay with this? Because this person who went to therapy mm-hmm. may not have been okay with that mm-hmm. and may have done better or preferred a different therapist. That seems like a pretty big issue. There's lots of possibility for, for lots of different um, boundary issues. And, and again, like, like you said, Justin, definitely it should have been, it is the therapist's responsibility to disclose these potential issues, even if they're not. Maybe the therapist puts it out there and it's like, whoa, it's a non-issue. Okay. Well, for for this this case in particular, she came due to work stress. Mm-hmm. I'm friends with your boss. Like that seems like a pretty big issue. And it apparently was yeah. already known. Like it was already out there. It seems like mm-hmm. that's the, maybe I'm wrong about that, but and apparently it came up in therapy because she's like, she knew about it. Right. She said she was friends with the VP. So either she knew that or it was told to her during therapy, but not processed and discussed. Like, is this appropriate? Would you prefer to meet right. with somebody else? So she brought it up right. as a way to say, I know this person. That can't be true. Also, invalidating the client in in all of that, which you get that it, rule number one in therapy is validate, validate, validate. Yeah. Don't invalidate. That's kind of what I'm thinking as far as the disclosure of the relationship issue. I, if you're if you're going to bring it up, it should be as, hey, this is this is a potential issue for you and me. And see what the client wants to do about it. Do we need to set you up with another therapist? Do we need do we need to find you other resources? Is this going to work? Are you going to feel safe and comfortable talking with me? All of this should be on the therapist. The next thing is it's of course it's not okay to insult clients. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't evaluate their intelligence or their education level. It's not okay. Goodness. It's not okay, okay. in any context to like judge someone's education. I guess maybe a teacher who's grading an assignment. <laughs> That's a little even, bit different, though. But the, she told me I was pretty smart for being so uneducated. Yeah. What the what? <laughs> what like? What's the point of that statement as the therapist? What is it that you're trying to convey there? You're dumb, but you're not as dumb as I thought you were. I what? I don't know. That's not therapy. That's not a, that's not a therapeutic. It's not statement. okay to insult your clients. No. I have no idea in what context that would even be okay. I don't know how that's even close to being therapy. I, I doubt she got trained in school to say things like that. I can't think of a single therapeutic modality where that's a, a phrase. I don't get it. Do we have to clarify what I meant with disclosing that she was friends with the boss? It seems pretty important to me. Clarify how? Is that an intervention? Like, would you do that? I probably wouldn't have taken this person on as a client without having first had that discussion. Like if they called me on the phone and said, hey, I, I need an appointment, I'd be like, wait a minute, you know I'm friends with your boss, right? Th- that's probably how that would have happened. I think how you said it is 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 the right thing to do. It, it needs to be brought up by the therapist. The personal relationship that the therapist has with anyone at the job, but especially a boss, definitely has to be clear and identified and then discussed as far as how it could potentially... Like I work with... Uh... Kids and if their parent works for the school district, I would disclose like this is the capacity that yeah. I work with with your mom or dad. 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that, no, I think it's appropriate, yeah. And even yeah. if they don't know that I work with their mom or dad, even if it's loosely, I would probably still bring it up and say, hey, look, just so you know, complete transparency here. I, I sometimes interact with your mom or dad or I don't and it's a non-issue or just I want to put that out there. If you have any concerns about it, we can talk about it more. Yeah. Because if anything, the mom or dad will know. And if you're treating a if you're treating a minor, then somebody has to sign off on services. So, yeah, it has to come but, up. But, if, but I work with 18-year-olds as well who can sign off on their own service, who can get, provide their own consent. But I would still be like, hey, you know, I, I know your parent works for the school district. I work for the school district. Our paths do or do not cross. Here's the limitations of that. Here, confidentiality, confidentiality, of course, still applies. But here's how I do or don't interact with them. What you say to me is absolutely confidential. Yeah, I would still disclose that and talk about that. Yeah. Okay. It's the right thing to do. You can't. You can't. Um, you can't kind of like throw caution to the wind and just see like, let's see what happens. Like you have to put out any any possible conflicts of interest or I think, you yeah. know. You just have to. I think this therapist should have said, "I'm real. I'm close friends with your boss. Whether you know that or not, like whether she knows or not, like uh, just so you know, like what's up, like where do you want to go with this? Did, are you okay with that? Are you not okay with that? Especially because it was it was like work, it was stress related to work. So knowing the boss and being friends with the boss seems kind of that seems kind of important to me. All right, next one on my first and last, which I love. I love that little in parentheticals there. On my first and last visit. I was told I needed to develop a personal relationship with God and Jesus and that then I'd feel better. Oh, goodness gracious. Check it out, guys. <laughs> you can believe in whichever God or gods you like. That's or fine. Not. Or not. Or not. Or not. Or in betweeny or whatever mix of whatever the thing is. Cool. You do you. More, more power to you. Fantastic. Absolutely. But I, as a therapist, will never, 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 ever, ever impose my beliefs on you in any way, shape, or form, because that's completely inappropriate. And actually, more than anything, I will take your beliefs as the client and use them to help benefit you in treatment if I can, if I feel like I can be competent and successful at that in helping you accomplish your goals in treatment. An example would be if I am Jewish and you are, I don't know, what's super different than Jewish? Catholic? Not Jewish. Not Jewish. (laughs) And let's say, let's say Catholic. And you say, you know what? Here's what I believe. And this is how it will help me. And I say, you know what? In my head, I say that that's different than what I believe. But we're not here to deal with Mercedes's beliefs or not. We're here to help you get to where you want to be in life. So... Never, ever, 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 ever should the therapist impose or encourage you or anything. Their religion or beliefs should not be any part of the discussion, ever. There's there's, there's a caveat here. I thought of one, too. (laughs) If you're going to your church and asking for counseling. Yes. But that's not therapy. That's not a licensed therapist, I don't think. Or typically will not be a licensed therapist. It's more of like a peer counselor or a church, um, what do you call it? Like a church counselor or whatever. But that's not a licensed marriage and family therapist necessarily. Probably isn't. But of course, in that context, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm guessing from the person who wrote this, that was not the context. Right. And I do, I I was very <laughs> passionate. I was very passionate a minute ago in saying never, ever, ever. There is one instance in which it is okay. And that is when you and the therapist share beliefs and go into that therapeutic relationship, both knowing that that this is going to be part of the treatment process. So on some level, as therapists, this is unavoidable. We, Of course, we're going to go into session with our own values and beliefs and whatnot. And some of that stuff might bleed through, absolutely. But this is a pretty obvious one that was very unavo- very avoidable. This is very avoidable. Um, and just telling someone what to... First off, telling them what to do, I don't... That's not therapy. Um, telling them to do what you're... What falls in line with your religious beliefs, that's not therapy. That's, that's I have never therapy. been taught that in school. That is not a modality that is ever taught. Now, I, of course, religion is a big part of someone's life, spirituality, of course, and that can of come course. into play, absolutely. But to volunteer information and then to direct someone based on your values and beliefs, that's um, that's not that's just not therapy. I'm going to keep saying that. It's not therapy. 
there you go. You know what I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> it's not there, but um, so with some when it comes to religion during the assessment phase, right, right in the beginning, it's pretty common to ask about stuff like that. Like it's probably it might be part of a formalized assessment where they're asking you about religion, they're asking about social supports. And religion might be one of those things. And, th- and that's totally appropriate. And they learn more about you. And they might ask, well, how can we use this as a support? Do you need to use it as a support? Yeah, if at all. Yeah. That's well within the range. But we basically should not be uh, inserting our values this strongly into the therapy at all. I personally, I never disclose about religion, politics, finances, nothing of the like. I just, it just doesn't, I don't do a whole lot of self-disclosure, but there's some things I just Nope, it's not. It's just not going to happen. There's just so many. There's there's so many possibilities and availability for for re-triggering or re-traumatizing a person. I'm not trying to lay any blanket statements out there like I did before with the never evers. <laughs> but never ever ever. But for ever 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 ever. <laughs> <laughs> but for example, that's from a um, song. I I oh is it <laughs> outcast? For example. Um, going back to the therapist saying, all you need is Jesus. Jesus will save you, girl. Look, <laughs> what if Jesus is one of the things that triggers her? And I, and again, I want to be sensitive to people's beliefs and, and, and religion. But what I want to say is, what if this, what if this person as a child was traumatized by a person who was drilling the religion into her head, maybe while the abuse was happening, while the trauma was, was going on? And then for the therapist to come back and say, well, all you need is this. But it's just like a, it's a re-triggering. It's a re-traumatization of the whole thing. Well, I'm hearing many stories, not explicit, but a lot of mentionings like in comments or DMs or whatever of people who survive some sort of religious abuse. Exactly. Within their church. And I'm like, this is another one of those things where I'm hearing it here and there. And now I'm wondering like, how widespread is this? And I know it's widespread. Yes. I, know, I know it's a lot, but now I'm like, oh my God, how widespread is this? It's scary widespread is how it is. And you had mentioned before the priests, um, you know, just in a, in a, in a role of authority. It's a bad mix. It, it's a potentially it's a very bad mix. I mean, you could bring it up and discuss it. Okay. But, but really like ser- serious, I, I would question. move on personally. I would move on. A yeah. therapist tells a client, you need to develop a personal relationship with God and Jesus, and then you'll be better. That's it. That's all you need. First, I yeah, I would move first on. First yeah. session. Time to go. See you late. <laughs> so the reason I never disclose this stuff in therapy is because these are obviously hot button issues. You know what I mean? Like whoever I vote vote or don't vote for, uh, religion, uh, finances. These are like dividing line things. Sadly. But that's that's why I don't bring them up is because I don't know how the person's going to react. And some kids or even adults will ask, and I say, you know, what? that's that's one of those questions I don't answer. And and uh, and I'll I'll play a game and I'll say, what if I told you I was Catholic? How would you feel about that? And they would answer, no. Well, what if I was an atheist? And they would answer that. And what if I was whatever? And they would answer that. And I'd say, well, so that this illustrates my point is because you have a different reaction to each of these belief systems, and that's why I don't disclose. Um, but. Then we talk about like, well, help me understand like why this is important to you. What, why does my belief system, what, how does that impact you? Why is that important to you? So we use it as a processing sort of thing, but I, I never answer that kind of stuff. Next one. Yep. Okay. Therapist said she couldn't help me unless I took medication for depression. Okay. A therapist is not a psychiatrist. We do not have medical degrees. We do not have any specific training in administering medication or any of that it is outside of our scope of practice it is illegal therefore for us to prescribe or suggest medication treatment of any sort we can recommend uh, that they see a psychiatrist for evaluation right, right. We, we can say that this this might be helpful like we can't push it right. i don't know no, like like you said, exactly what you said is exactly what we're supposed to do is if we feel like possibly maybe because of our experience, this could be helpful, then let's send you to the person who specializes in this in this area, the psychiatrist, to make that determination. It's not within our scope of practice to make that determination. We can explore it or help the client to explore it, but we can't go there with them. Like I, I, That's beyond me. Like, why not? Why can't you help? That's your bleeping job. To help someone yeah. who is depressed. Like, why can't you help? What are you talking about? Yeah. 
It, for me, it's a, it's a do your job thing. Your, your job isn't the medication. Your job is actually not the medication. So regardless of whether medication is, is a thing or not, whether it's happening or not, your job as a therapist is to see the client and work with them on their depression. There's lots of reasons why people may or may not be taking medication. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, like what if the client doesn't want to take medication? What if they're yeah. against medication? What if for whatever belief system they have, Mm-hmm. That taking Western medication is not within, like, that. that's not within their belief system. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't compel someone to do that. What if the parent doesn't want their kids on medication? Uh, what if clients want to try therapy without medication and instead they want to do, like, yoga and body massage kind of stuff and meditation? Like, you're really going to compel this person who's trying their best and doing all these things and listening to this amazing podcast? You're going to compel them to, like, take medication? Are you serious? That was good. I like how you snuck that in there. Bad therapist. Bad therapist. <laughs> this We talked about this already. We can suggest or recommend that they be evaluated by a psychiatrist or a doctor. That is something I've done many times. Um, I don't know about you, Justin, but it's something that I've done. But again, I'm, I'm very clear. I am not a doctor. I do not have a medical degree of any sort. I cannot tell you either way if this if medication is what you need. Let's get you connected to someone that can tell you that if it's something you're interested in. If the psychiatrist says it's not necessary, the therapist should meet with the client anyway, which totally. that's what we were saying. It, the therapist's job is to do the therapy. It has nothing to do with medication. But now if they feel like they can't help, that's different. If you don't feel like you can help, then you should help someone connect to somebody else. You should do a, or you should refer out and find an appropriate referral. I don't know why a therapist would not be able to help someone with depression. That's pretty bare bones, minimum stuff that we do. Yeah. If you feel like you can't help, fine. That's totally ethical to be like, I don't think I'm going to be very helpful for you. That's totally fine. But then you refer out. You don't compel someone to get medication. That's not, that's not cool. I'm go- and I'm going back to the, to the quote from the submission. The therapist said she couldn't help me unless I took medication for depression. It sounds like there's no relationship there. I'd be out. That's me personally. Out. See you late. Deuces. Next one. I've had two therapists, I've only gone to see three total, literally start talking to me about their traumatic childhoods as though I was the therapist. And this person had the grace to say, LOL. You are an angel for putting LOL. Goodness gracious. Okay, look. (laughs) I can't. Two out of three. That's Two out crazy. Of but not just their childhoods, traumatic childhoods. Why are you as a therapist bringing your own crap into the session? Go see your own therapist. This is not rocket science, folks. I could only assume, and I, this is, I'll play devil's advocate here. Do it. I can only assume that they're attempting to help by saying, I understand. I don't think that you have to go into your own traumatic childhood to say, I understand. You don't. You just don't. You don't even have to say, I understand. You simply understand. You just understand. And they will, they will pick up on it. <laughs> Clients aren't stupid. If you get it, they, aren't. they will get it. <laughs> it's not that difficult. So that's my only <sighs> hope here, context-wise, is that they're attempting to help, but that's not the right way. I, I don't. I don't think. Keep your stuff to yourself. Therapeers. In, oh, you were gonna. You were tr- trying to make that a thing. It is a thing. That's two, a two thing. episodes in a row. Keep your stuff to yourself. Yeah, this is not your time. Get your own therapy. You are being paid. This this blows me away because I haven't entered the private sector yet. Mm-hmm. You're you're being paid for a service. Shut up <laughs> and listen and keep your stuff to yourself <laughs> to yourself. Like you have to respect I remember. that. I re- so I was in private practice and I remember as soon as they walked in, I knew I was on the clock. Like, okay, let's let's pack in as much help as I possibly can in these 50 minutes because they're paying me and they're paying me good money. Like, it it's not cheap. And whether it's them or the insurance or whatever thing, like, I'm going to try and make it worth it for them. This is your time. This is your money. Here's the thing. You, if you were to go to a restaurant, and halfway through the meal, the waiter sits down and says, look, I just I just need a quick snack. Scooch over. Just scoot, scoot over a little bit. Pass me some fries. What? 
get out. Like, or the chef. If you need food. Go, or the chef. I don't care. Any of them. The <laughs> chef comes over and is like, let me try that. <laughs> Are you going to finish that? Get out of here. Get your own dish. Get your own go food. Away. What are you doing? I came to eat my food. You go get your own food. This is the exact same thing. So in general, self-disclosure is a no-no in my opinion. Or in our opinion, I'm sure, right? Emo. Self-disclosure in general is a no-no. no-no. In general. I, yeah, yeah. In general. In general. I think for advanced therapists such as you and I, we can sprinkle it in very appropriately. and You don't ever... Ever, ever. Not even like, I like the color blue kind of thing. Oh, if they ask. that's self-disclosure. If they ask for them. I, there's, yeah. I'll answer almost anything except for those like, you know. Right. Dividing oh, yeah, line no. things. The big ones, yeah. The politics, the religion stuff. But yeah, no. I'll, I'll, honestly, like, I should, I talked about this, I think, before in the last episode or the one before that, the bonus one. That when I attempt to share even like benign things, it doesn't go anywhere. But when, when they ask me about family, that means a lot to them. So when I when I attempt to gauge what I think would be helpful, it's usually a miss, honestly. If I just shut up and listen, that that's always a hit. You know what I mean? Or if they ask me about my family and I say, yeah, I'm a dad and I have two kids, they light up. They love it. So for the most part, I'm realizing that like what's important to me or what I think might be helpful may not be helpful. You know what I mean? So I pretty much just keep it to myself unless they ask. Yeah. I think I use it a lot. Not a lot, but I use it the most when I'm trying to build a relationship, when I'm first working on building rapport with a client. And I'm kind of thinking, as you were saying that, I'm wondering if age has to do with it because I work with, you know, like first through eighth graders. And so I don't know if that's different. Sometimes we'll talk about like video games. Like I don't play games much anymore, but I used to. So I have enough knowledge, you know, to kind of yeah chit chat. I don't do a whole lot of chit chat, yeah. but at first, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I like that though. Chit chat. That's kind of like in the very beginning, the first few sessions when I'm trying to really build a relationship. And I don't know if it's that my my role is a little bit different because I'm I'm in the classrooms with the kids six hours a day, every True. day, mostly. But yeah, I'll do kind of chit chatty things like, oh, you have a dog. I have a dog. Oh, what's your dog's name? Here's my dog's name. You know, yeah. again, nothing, n- none of those biggies like religion and, um, you know, all that stuff. Every now and then I'll do the rapport building chit chatty sort of thing it's not that often honestly they do like the family stuff though all of the kids i've ever worked with when they ask me do you have kids yes oh that just it does how old are they what are their names oh well we're not going there but (laughs) but yeah they like to hear that they like to hear um that i play with my kids that yeah go to the park you know i i'll give them little things that seem to spark things yeah, or, that's true. But but to spark something for treatment, like, do you go to the park? No. Well, what happens at home? Okay, let's talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. So sharing your trauma is a complete distraction from the clients. It takes them, I think probably in general, it takes them well off their own track of becoming unstuck and puts the focus on the therapist. Uh, they are now concerned or possibly annoyed at you, therapier. And they are no longer in a safe space. Keep your stuff to yourself in general. Keep it keep to it yourself. yourself. I went to a therapist and she uh, kept telling me about her mom. Oh, God. I don't want to know about this. This Did she know you're a therapist? That Yeah, I tried to hide it from her. Because I, <laughs> I knew. I knew it would just go haywire. So I think it lasted like 10 minutes. And she was doing the chit-chatty, building rapport thing. And she's like, oh, so what do you mm-hmm. do for a living? And, I'm, and inside, I'm like groaning. I'm like, ugh. And I said, I'm a therapist. I work for the school district. And then she goes, um, oh, you work with kids? I've been oh, looking gosh. for someone good to refer to. So she was using my therapy time as networking. Right, right. It's not appropriate. Not so okay. in my mind, this is like an ethical issue. I'm like, so that was the biggest red flag for me. And then after I explicitly said, just, just listen. She kept telling me about her mom. Right. <laughs> so after the third one, I'm like, you know, this is really helpful. Thank you so much. And I totally just, I didn't give her, I, I gave her an honest attempt. I was like, just listen. And she was just was not able to do it. So I moved on. That was it. Next one. I went to a first appointment with a new therapist a few years ago, and she had me fill out a bunch of paperwork. 
There was one sheet that I didn't fill out because it was for the parents of children seeking therapy with her. I'm an adult woman and was seeking therapy for myself. She kept haranguing me. That's a fantastic word. I love that. Yeah. That's a good word. It says a lot too. I know. She kept haranguing me for not filling it out and telling me I had to. And I kept explaining I can't because I have no children and was there for myself. She eventually dropped it, but I already felt a bit uncomfortable. I was there to see her because I was interested in EMDR. And after explaining a little of my trauma history and getting a little tearful, she told me she didn't think I was ready to do EMDR and then questioned whether I would really follow through with coming to see her every week. I told her I had never had an issue showing up for therapy before. I left super upset and called her office the next day to let them know I wouldn't come back. It kind of felt like she was trying to convince me not to see her. Question mark. Not to see her? I lo- the word haranguing. Haranguing. Really, it's purposely <laughs> chosen, obviously. like it, It's a fantastic, it's a very, very uh, visual word. It's a very descriptive word. It wasn't like a misunderstanding. Right. It was this therapist was not hearing her. Like, I don't need to fill this out. It doesn't apply. Why is she explaining? Right. Why is she explaining the therapist form to the therapist? Like she... That says a lot about the therapist. Like, are you kidding me? I know. Yeah. Haranguing. It wasn't like, oh, sorry about that. I'll take that back. It was, no, mm-hmm. you have to fill out the form. You have to do it. And I ima- with that word with haranguing, I imagine like multiple, kind of like going back and forth about it multiple times. No, I don't have to fill out. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. But despite that, she gave the therapist a try, apparently opened it up enough to be teary-eyed. Like that says, that, to me, it's like this person's willing to put up with some stuff and really wants some help. Well, and, and, and is willing to look past maybe yeah. little mistakes or little hiccups. Uh, that sounds like a pretty big that. one, but yeah. 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 With forums in general, there's some things we do have to get signed if if we provide treatment like informed consent um, and confidentiality disclosures or whatnot, limitations of confidentiality. There's some things that we typically get signed, but um, for like assessments... If someone doesn't want to answer their abuse history with me in the first session, we I let it go. That's okay. Most of the stuff is like we'll get to it when we get to it. There's some stuff that needs to be, to get signed session one, fine. But uh, if you if you're getting that hung up on the forms, like your priorities might be a little mixed up. Yeah, you're not there for the right reason. Like slow down, slow slow hey. your forms roll down. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> Seems like a simple issue. This one in particular was extremely simple. This this issue was very simple. You chuckle it off, you apologize, and you move on. Oh, sorry about that. Wrong form. Oops. Yeah. And you move on. But that didn't happen. So I was there to see her because I was interested in EMDR. So she had done her homework enough to be yes. like, I'm interested in this thing. <sighs> but for some reason, this our therapy Mercedes mm-hmm. doubted that. For some reason, doubted that I, there was, seemed like there was enough here to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll work with you. And it sounds like you've done your homework. I happen to be an EMDR trained certified therapist. I can do that for you. You made it here. You pay the fee. To me, that tells me you're pretty motivated. Right. There's a lot going on here that's a positive. But this person, this therapist said what? She doubted whether she would really follow through. I don't know why. I mean, based on what we know, I don't know why. Like. She paid. She's there. She's opening up to you, tearing up. What else? What other After evidence? After being harangued. Yeah. What else would she need to show that she's motivated for treatment? Well, and here's my thing. Also, like on top of that, the therapist here, me as a therapist, I hear that someone comes in and has done enough research to say, you know what? EMDR is something I'm interested in. You know, can you hook me up? And in my head, I'm thinking, mm, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure if this client is a, is a good fit for this modality. But then what I would say outside of my head is, is tell me more. Tell me what you learned about EMDR. Tell me what interests you in that. What is it that you'd like to gain from that, from that treatment intervention? Because then if EMDR isn't the right way to get there for them, A, maybe we should just try it out. Or B, let's get them to where they want to be, maybe using something different and explaining to them why maybe EMDR isn't the exact right way to get them there. But let's try this other thing also to get them where they want to go. Like if you have another option that you think might be better fit. Yeah. And like explain maybe if I why. think EMDR isn't the best. Exactly. But not just shooting it down and saying, no, you're, no, you can't handle it. And I don't think you're going to make it anyway. There's no reason to yeah. do that. 
No, I don't, I don't see why there would be. So yeah, you should be listening and taking seriously the client's interest in a modality. So if a client came to me for EMDR, I'm not certified or trained in that. I would mm-hmm. tell them I'm not the right person because I don't mm-hmm. do that. That's different. Questioning a client's motivation, I don't get that at all. Like I, I wish I had someone paying and saying I want help because I, I, usually I don't work with that. I've never had, like I, I work with kids that want help, but it's a different thing. Like when you pay and you're making your way there and you sit down and say, I want help. That's someone who's motivated. I, I would love to work with someone who's motivated. And not <laughs> just I, mean? I want help, but I want help. And here's what I've done to, to learn about what will help me. That's a lot of motivation there. To me, this sounds like a fantastic client to work with. Absolutely. This is a to me. This is a really good example of how forgiving a client can be. Yes, it is. These little ruptures, like the paperwork thing, that's so easy to to repair. She apparently didn't do it, but this client was willing to move past that. Super easy to fix. Didn't happen. But clients are extremely forgiving. I was forgiving. I gave that therapist I talked about. I gave her three sessions. I gave her opportunities. I was very open about what I wanted and what I needed from her. And she wasn't able to do it. But, you know, I gave her three sessions. This person gave uh, gave her what, one? Well, uh, no, the therapist, sounded... the therapist cut it off. Really? Well, no. She went to the first appointment and then um, the the therapist doubted whether or not she'd come back and follow through. And then the, the client said she called back the next day to the office and said, thanks, but no thanks. Okay. So, and rightly so. Yeah. But it's interesting that the, the impression that she got from the therapist was it kind of felt like she was trying to convince me to not see her. Why would a client be leaving with that impression? Right. That's weird. It is weird. The The fact that the client is leaving with that sensation, not of her own doing, but because of the therapist's behaviors, that is weird. It is weird. It's a little weird. I feel a, a little weird. weird. Weirded out by that. It's a lot weird. Let's do one more. Seeing a therapist to try and work through a physically abusive partner. The therapist decided it was appropriate to try and set me up with her son. Oh my gosh. Then she obsessively emailed and called me for months. It was a nightmare. Also, a therapist that told me when my disabled mother calls me that I should just not pick up the phone. I have never had a therapist that I felt I could truly trust. That's so sad. Okay, there's so many big things in this one. This is two different therapists, though. Okay. Right? So there's one therapist who was the it matchmaker. Like bad matchmaker. Uh-huh. Bad therapist, bad matchmaker. That's bad a therapist. dual threat there. And the other one is the the one that does not want the mother to Your talk to Your mother needs the, you, but don't, don't answer the phone. So two separate therapists. And then to top it all off, I've never had a therapist, So which leads me to think there's been more. But that's my assumption. That I felt I could truly trust. But that's what we're supposed Gosh, to be doing. That's, that's that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, and that's not the client's fault, I don't think. Um, we should not be playing matchmaker or breaker. Why not? <laughs> we we because we're not the expert on our clients' lives. It's, they are the experts. It's ridiculous. I've had I worked, but with not a, even that though. Like, what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. I worked with a high schooler who told me that she was suicidal. And she had seen a therapist before me, and she said that therapist attempted to connect her with one of the other one of the therapist's other clients in the no. same school. No, because that other client was also suicidal. No, so but she attempted connect the, them in a romantic way. Uh, it, I think it's by friendship, or as okay. as an attempt to get them to support each other through friendship, or to make a new friendship, or to support each other, but broke confidentiality. In a major, major way. Plus, it's just stupid. You don't. We're not matchmakers. We're not matchbreakers either. This is not appropriate. We right. that crosses some lines, some significant lines. How about trying to set uh, set up your client <sighs> with your son? How how about that? <laughs> that's not that's okay. Not, that's not therapy. What the heck? Like what? <laughs> what in the name of God's green earth? <laughs> Are you thinking? That's like a cross between someone who's in the role of a therapist and just something that you would do for your son outside, like at a party or like, hey, I know this cute person and let me connect you with them. But that's that's in your role as a mom, which I think right. crosses some lines, but that's your role as a mom. Right. <laughs> and your role as a therapist, those impulses, you have to be able to 
pull back on those impulses to set your kids up and to set your clients up. That's not appropriate. But even more, like, yes, I, I agree with all of that. And then to compound the issue, hey, therapist, I had a physically abusive partner. And the therapist responds, hey, let me hook you up with my son. Your issues aren't valid or important. Like, I didn't even think of that. I just, I was stuck on the part of connecting the matchmaker piece mm-hmm. and how she was following up for months. Like, I was stuck on that. But yeah, you're right. They're with or got out of a physically abusive relationship. I don't know if it was with still or what or not. But that's such an inappropriate intervention. It's not it's not a therapeutic yeah. intervention. It's not it's that's not, not an intervention. No, that's but, just But on top of it, it's it's insulting because did you hear what I said? Did you hear my words? Right, right, right. And it's invalidating. I just told you something really enormous and huge that's going on in my life and I, I need to work through it. And you're gonna what? You're gonna try to get your son a date? What? <laughs> what's yeah. happening? There's a bigger theme here, which which is um, a therapist, and what we'll say not this therapist, but we we want to help, and I know some of us may attempt to solve the problem in our attempts to help, but we have to believe that our clients are capable of solving their own problems, and that our role might be to listen and support and problem solve, come up with options with them. But we have to ultimately believe that they are capable of solving their problems and that yes. our role is not to do that for them. Right. Right? I don't... Yeah. Right. And it sounds like this therapist had the compulsion to help, but then it went beyond that. It was to solve the problem and in a very unethical way. Like it was some major things being trampled on here. Well, and I'm just, I'm rereading through the lines. It sounds like it, she wasn't even trying to solve the problem for the client per se. She was trying to solve her son's problem, which is even worse, I think. I, You're right. No, you're right. You, it, I was looking at it as, uh, again, like, what's the best light I can put this in? <laughs> but yeah, I get, she, no, you're right. It's nice you're of right. you, but you're right. this therapist, what? I can't. The more I think about it, the more mad I get. Because really then, then she obsessively emailed and called me for months. So at this point, has has the client broken off the therapeutic relationship? Has the therapist broken off the therapeutic relationship? Well, look, look at look, look. Is this, this going on while treatment is happening? This is a parallel process here. She is she is smothering her client. <laughs> this is a parallel process to like an abusive situation, is it not? Oh my gosh! Yes. Yes. So I as therapists, as therapists, we have to be really aware of oh the, the parallel processes that are happening. Are we mirroring something that's happening that's, in the client's life? We have to be aware of that. That's even more horrifying. So I'm this, sorry, I keep talking over you, but holy cow, okay. I hadn't thought of that. That's okay. But yeah, this oh. therapist is really to me. This is like she said it was a nightmare. She could not mm-hmm. escape this therapist, who she went to see to work through a physically abusive partner. Right, there's a parallel process happening here. And this therapist obviously was not aware of that whatsoever. But she's, the therapist is mirroring this. And this is like, this is why people say it's traumatizing or re-traumatizing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you can't escape them. Like she said, it's a, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, it's not appropriate. Don't call back. Click. It was right, a for nightmare. Emailing and calling for months. We haven't even gotten to the second part. A therapist that told no, me when didn't. my disabled mother calls me that I should just not pick up the phone. What? Well, we've talked about like we don't give advice. That's really, I think, bad advice probably. But we don't get, it's not up to us to tell people what to do. That's not our role. That's not what a therapist is supposed to do. And obviously it's not what this client wanted or needed to hear. She's talking about her disabled mother. Now, obviously, this is the extent of my information. I don't have any other history or, you know, experience with this person, but she cares enough about her mother to say, you know, she's she's my disabled mother. Like, why would I not pick up the phone? I think in the media, we see therapists giving advice. Yeah. But that's not our... I was never taught that in school. Mm-mm. There is no therapeutic modality that I've studied or been trained in that suggests that we should be giving advice. This is not the reality of therapy. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. If you're, if you're getting advice from a therapist... Therapists should be doing things that are different than anything else you can receive. I can get advice from friends. If I want advice, Mercedes can give me advice if I go to her. Or from a coworker, I can get something from my wife. Like there's 
But that's not therapy. You go to a therapist for therapy. Therapists should not be giving advice, should not be playing matchmaker. If you're single and you want to get set up, you if you want to go to your mom, fine. If you want to go to a friend, fine. But you don't go to a therapist. That's not right. therapy. That's not therapy. Right. So the recommendation to not talk to your mother, I don't know. I don't, I don't get Just that. Just not okay. A good therapist will provide options, do some problem solving with you, do some maybe pros, cons kind of stuff, process feelings. Not going to give advice. No. That's not what they do. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Justin and I hope that this has brought you some some benefit in your life, some positive impact. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode in the Trauma Nerds Community Forum. It's the non-therapeutic forum for the Polyvagal Podcast listeners to discuss the episodes with each other. So far, it's mostly just Justin and I, but we have one or two other people participating. And let me tell you what, I love... I love interacting with you guys. I love hearing your questions and getting to answer them in a different, like in a different modality and a different forum. The reality is, Mercedes, that I've recently hit with Instagram. Uh, I feel like I've hit a point. I, I, I've read every message and responded to everything, but I may not be able to keep that up for much longer. And I'm not like so inundated, but it's like, there's it's a lot. It's, a it's lot, very. Though. It's very specific. Let me give actually a quick recommendation. When you DM myself or Mercedes, or if you post in the Trauma Nerds forum, if it's a, if it's a specific question about your life, like if you start telling me about your kids or your husband or your wife or whatever, I really can't answer that. If if you give me a general question that I can apply to anybody, or if it's about the content of the podcast, like if you just need some clarification, like hey, I didn't understand how freeze applies to whatever. Or um, you guys were talking about therapy and what what is HIPAA? Where can I find out more about that? Like if it's general stuff like that, I can answer that pretty quickly. I'll just give a quick example. We had um, a question on the forum about play and and a person was asking about recommendations for children ages four to eight and what type of play is the best to help teach self-regulation. So that kind of question is exactly exactly the kind of thing that we're looking for. And we can... You know, we can engage with you guys and, and also see what your peeps have to say, too, because it's not just about Justin and I. It's about the whole community coming together and sharing ideas. Feel free to reach out to one of us. We have our contact information in the description where you can also find a link to the show notes. Uh, we have an open invite for audio clips. We'd love to hear your bad therapy stories or really anything at this point. It's just an open uh, invite for you to send in audio clips. We'd love to hear your voices and get those onto the podcast if we can. So any thoughts you have that you think would be helpful for others or bad therapy stories, send an audio clip through email or uh, direct message it through Instagram. It's super easy through there. That's it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. I didn't add anything to it because I, I felt like it was long enough already. So, hey, I've, I lost interest in what you're saying. I talked to someone. Sweet. I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. God. I have so, I have something important to say. Oh, okay. Forget it. I don't want to say it now. <laughs> <laughs>